really appreciate that today. Thank you all for for giving and uh, looking out for these young ones. Amen. Well, today we're going to be uh, finishing the series we've been on of Women of the Kingdom. And today I want to talk about Women of the Kingdom family. How many of you would say today that you believe the family in America is under attack? So many ways. And I want us to see that God has a divine order that He has established on how family is supposed to be and how family is supposed to live. We know that there was an enemy in the garden. Lucifer came into the serpent, deceived Eve. Roles were reversed. We've walked through all of that. And what happened is disorder began to rule. Um, A curse upon the earth happened. You know, none of us have to grab our bag of weed seeds and go plant our weeds in our yard. They just come, don't they? I mean, you literally, you literally fight those things all the time. I had put out some Christmas lights and did a little bit of border on the ground, and there were no weeds when I put those lights down. A couple days ago, I, I, I lost count. I wasn't really counting, but I probably would say there was at least 50 weeds there. Uh, and it's just a part of the curse. But there are weeds that want to come into families. There are, there are things that have caused disorder. There are things that cause conflict. There are things that cause there to be strife and division. And the Bible says where strife and division is, there's every evil thing. You know, God is a God of unity. And in order to have unity, there has to be order. I shared with you about how Every day when parents drop off children at school, it's not uncommon for a hundred cars to come in and start dropping off children. And if there's no order there, if there's no policeman, if there's no uh, traffic uh, guard or somebody to help them, do, there's chaos. You know what I'm saying? Even if one person does something out of line, it affects everybody else. And so I want us to see today that Paul, the primary passage written about God's established order is, is found in 1 Corinthians. And I want you to see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. You'll know that if you've, if you've ever read 1 Corinthians or 1 and 2 Corinthians, that the church at Corinth, it was far from godly. I mean, they had a lot of issues going on. Yeah, they spoke in tongues, and they, they prophesied, and they did all these things, but they were so fleshly in so many, so many things in their life. And Paul directs these Corinthian believers to the basic premise that underlies, listen to this, it underlies everything. It's similar to how a parent would address their children when they've become unruly, the way that Paul addresses the church. And I want you to notice here in chapter 11 and verse 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me. How? Just as I also am of Christ. He sets the bar. 
He sets the standard of who to be like, and that is Jesus. Then in verse 3, he says this, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. Men, I took you through six weeks of what it meant to be a kingdom man, a man of God's kingdom. And we're to be under Christ as we lead our family. And if we're not under Christ leading our family, chaos can happen. Conflict can happen. Uh, Confusion can happen. Fights will happen. So Christ is the head of every man. Amen? And the man is the head of a woman. A woman. One. In marriage. Now we've talked about this. That is not a misogynistic statement, although people in our culture today would call it that. God has established order within the family. Eve messed up that order. She should have gone to Adam when the serpent came to her and tempted her, but she didn't. And because of that, there was curse. Now, notice this. If the Christ is the head of every man, the man is the head of a woman or his wife, and God is the head of Christ. Now, I really want you to catch that. Now, I want to ask you this question. If God the Father is the head of Christ, does that make God the Father more powerful than Jesus? You see, the Godhead is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Who's most important? They're all equal. But the way God established the divine order was that God the Father, if you can think of it this way, He thought the plan. God the Son worked the plan. And the Holy Spirit is the power behind the plan. But they're all equal. And they're one. The Godhead, three in one. Much like an egg is one but there's three parts. There's the shell, there's the white, there's the yolk, but it's one. We don't call an egg three things. It's an egg, even though it has three parts, and they all function differently. So Paul does not dance around this situation. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He makes it plain because when God established his order of things, he didn't hide it in some obscure location. He stated it clearly. The that Christ is the head of the man, the man is the head of a woman in that marriage relationship, and God is the head of Christ. Now, before we go on, I want to let you know that I realize this is a sensitive subject. Trust me, I know. I have counseled men and women for hundreds, if not thousands of hours, and, and, and the area of headship and the area of order is often a delicate spot, especially in the day in which we live today. So before we go any further, I want to make this point clear. Order has nothing to do with equality. It has everything to do with divine function and order. And I'm going to use Jesus and the Father as an example. Jesus is equal to the Father. Yet while Jesus is equal to the Father in his being, he was not equal to God in his function. He it, another maybe I should say it this way. He was not the same in function 
as the Father was. Now, I want you to notice this first. John 6, 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. Well, then whose will are you, did, you, did you come down to do? He tells us, but the will of him who sent me. I came to do the will of my Father. So here's what I want you to understand is everything Jesus did, he saw the Father do. That's what he says. He said, I do nothing of myself. In fact, notice this in John 4, 34, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So when Jesus, what he did was submit to the Father in order to carry out his function on earth while at the same time being equal to his Father. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, I'm not going to take a lot of time on this, but the Bible says he emptied himself of his divine attributes when he became a man. He did not cease being God. But what he did on earth, he did as a man, because he was fully man, he was fully God, but what he did on earth, he chose to do as a man under the Father with the power of the Holy Spirit. That is why Jesus said, the things I do, you can do. And you can do them because I go to the Father and I send the Holy Spirit to come upon you the same way he came upon me. That's why Paul raised people from the dead. In fact, Paul, his, one of his church services was in a house, and there was a young man sitting and listening to him. He was in the windowsill uh, listening to Paul preach, and the Bible says, and Paul uh, extended his message. And he, in other words, that's just a nice way of saying he was, long, he was long-winded that, that day. He kept on preaching and kept on preaching. And this young guy, he falls asleep during the sermon. And I just want to just say, it's not always a safe thing to do if you're sitting in a third-story window listening to a message and you go to sleep. Because this dude falls out of the window onto the ground, and the Bible said he's dead. He dies at church listening to the sermon. And so Paul stops long enough to go downstairs, lay hands on the boy, prays, and the boy comes back to life. Goes back up. I doubt he said, I don't know, I, but I doubt he sat at the same window when he was, uh, you know, went back up. But the Bible says then Paul kept on preaching until it was almost daylight. Can you imagine? Could you imagine people? That would be hard to keep people's attention after that because I think that I'll be looking at this guy. See, you just fell, and now you're here again. Jesus said the things that I do, you'll do. And greater works than these shall you do. You know, see, what Jesus did was submit to the Father in order to carry out his will. And so God always works through an ordained structure. So what I want you to understand is this. You cannot get God's involvement if you create your own structure. You see, a lot of the problems we are experiencing in the United States of America within our families is because we've created our own structure. Satan went to Eve to flip God's order because he knew that if he could, if he could get Eve out of alignment, then both Adam and Eve would be separated from God, Genesis 3. 
And when the roles get flipped, hell steps in. I realize that sometimes people mix up and and take function to mean inequality. So they dishonor and disrespect women. Some men do. The Bible knows nothing of that. That is why Scripture calls the wife a joint heir. Hey, listen, if you're a joint heir, you're equal in ground. Jesus said there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. You're all equal. But within the confines of marriage, there's differences in function. Now, I know what someone's thinking. But what if my husband isn't a man of God's kingdom? What if he's not a kingdom man? What if he isn't aligned under God? What do I do then? Well, that answer is very simple. You align yourself under God's word and under God's will while praying for your husband to get in alignment as well. I'm going to give you an example here a little bit later on in this message of something that took place in the 1900s, but I want to give you something that happened with Moses himself. Do you know that God told Moses to circumcise his boys and Moses didn't do it? He gave him the law of circumcision. Yet Moses himself had not circumcised his own children, and Zipporah was his wife, the mother of those boys. And she is an excellent example in Scripture of a woman whose husband, Moses, was not following God's will in that particular situation. In fact, if you read this account in God's Word, the Bible says that God's anger burned against Moses so much so that he was setting out to kill Moses. So aware of this, his wife, Zipporah, stepped in, circumcises her boys, and fulfills God's command. She did what he should do. And God withheld his wrath from Moses because Moses' wife stood in the gap for him. But that's not the way God wanted it to be. Created, it created tension. She actually, when she was done, she said to him, you've become a bridegroom of blood to me. Hey, lawgiver, you're going to have to get your house in order. You see what I'm saying? Are you with me? You see, submission means, as we saw in Scripture last week, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22, I'll just say it this way. It says, as to the Lord. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. How? As to the Lord. So submission acknowledges that the man is in a position of authority within the marriage, but he never has absolute authority because he is under a head called Christ. So, for example, God is not asking you to submit to physical abuse. He's not asking you to submit to uh, anything like that. When a man seeks to harm a woman with his body or with his words, she's not called to submit to that. As to the Lord... So what Paul wrote concerning alignment didn't just apply to women. Can you see this? He wrote that Christ is the head of every man. So a man has to submit to Jesus in order to open the flow 
so to speak, of God's blessing into his home. And if you are a man who is not in alignment with God, Peter explains the power that you as a kingdom woman have in that situation. He says this in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. He said, In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word from you by the behavior of their wives, and they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. But here's what happens a lot of time. We talked about this last week, about the contentions of a wife is like a constant dripping from a rain. He who would grasp oil in his hand can stop it. Um, but what happens is a lot of times when the husband's not doing what he's supposed to do, then sometimes the woman begins to walk in the flesh and nags the husband and speaks negative and disrespects the husband. And then this cycle just keeps on going on and on and on and on. And that is why, church, divorce is 50% in America. I shared this statistic with you last week. It doesn't matter whether it's in the church or out of the church. Every one of every two marriages ends in divorce. And the example I gave that to you is this. If, if you know, there's so many airplanes flying every day, if one out of every two airplanes crashed... How, how many of you would want to go take an airplane? But that is the statistic. So let's say that 10 airlines fly out today within this hour. Five of them are going to crash. Which five are going to crash? We don't know. And the problem is it's because we've set up our own system. Some women have a problem with alignment because they think, well, I'm smarter than my husband, or I make more money than my husband, or I'm more educated than my husband. I have more common sense than my husband. Bless God. I can't align myself under him. I'm going to lighten things up just a little bit. Taking that thought, let's suppose that there's an 18-wheeler on the interstate, and he's trying to merge or he's trying to come onto the interstate merging from one of these frontage roads. Let's also assume that there's a Volkswagen Beetle bug coming down that interstate with the right-of-way. That 18-wheeler, what does he have to do? He has to yield. That person driving down the interstate doesn't have to yield to that oncoming car. That 18-wheeler has to yield. Now, the 18-wheeler has more size. It has more power than that Volkswagen. But that Volkswagen has the right of way. In other words, it has authority. Given to it by the state laws of driving. So in God's kingdom, authority always overpowers might. That's why as God's children, we can rebuke the powers of darkness in Jesus' name, and that power that is greater in us than that which is in the world, that power that is in the world has to yield even though a demon or the devil himself is stronger than any man. In fact, I don't know if you ever read this, but there were seven men that were sons of a priest called Sceva that tried to cast out a demon of one man in one man, and there actually were more than one. And this guy, he beat all seven of them up 
and stripped their clothing. One guy with a demon had more power than seven guys. So, yeah, the devil's power is greater than man, but when God gives us his authority in Jesus' name and we know him as our Lord and Savior, the demons take notice. You can be five foot six and a hundred and pounds, and the devil will listen to you. Amen? I want to talk a second about kingdom parenting. Volumes could be written on the area of godly parenting. Training up the next generation of kingdom men and women is one of the highest responsibilities that a parent has. Single mothers in particular feel as if they face an overwhelming parenting challenge in trying to cover all the bases that their children need. And parenting, listen, I know you know this, but it's no small role. And I don't believe anybody's got the the corner on it all. I think all of us can stand to improve on how we do it. But this entire culture, the nation at large, suffers when children are not parented correctly. Society suffers. The police have more work to do. The churches have more work to do. The schools have more work to do. How many of you have ever been in a class of unruly students and the, the, the teacher can barely get control of the class because they won't pay attention to what she's saying or he is saying and the authority structure is broken down so there's confusion. Raising the children of God's kingdom means you giving your children a kingdom perspective so that they align their decisions with his decisions throughout their earthly lives. And that, in turn, will bring glory to God as they reflect his rule on earth. And to raise your children with a kingdom perspective is to love them. And loving them does not always mean giving them what they want. It's giving them what they need. It's not about buying them a new Xbox or clothes or toys. There is nothing wrong with buying those things for your children, but what they truly need is to learn to be respectful. They need to learn to be responsible. They need to learn to be patient. They need to learn to be hardworking and spiritually minded. Can I hear an amen? You see, those are the greatest love gifts that you can ever give your children because those gifts... Those will enable them to not only be successful in this life, but it will give them an eternal future and a hope. You know, a a word that has become a bad word, it seems like in our culture and in our society, is the word discipline. But do you know what God has called us to do? He says, I have called you to go into all the world to preach my gospel to every creation and to make disciples. Do you know that the word discipline is connected to disciple? Now, I understand parents have disciplined out of control. Sometimes a parent has disciplined in anger, but it doesn't make the discipline wrong. It doesn't make discipline in itself wrong. The Bible says Jesus learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And it says, what heavenly, fa- what earthly father will not 
discipline an, a foolish son to bring him back in line. I mean, think about this. Any of you today, if you have a child, and let's say you're having a dinner with uh, friends of yours, and your child, let's say, is three years old, or let's just go down to the what they call the terrible twos. We tried to make them the terrific twos, but there's always difficulty there, right? That's being very positive, but there's still difficulties in the two-year-olds. But let's just say that two-year-old decides to take their cup of water or milk, and they just pour it on your friend. Now, would, you, would you not do anything and say, oh, that's funny? Uh, or how many of you, you would say, that's not what we do. That's not right. That's not polite. That's not good manners even, right? That's discipline. Showing them what is right and showing them what is wrong. So teaching your children to be committed followers of Jesus despite the reality that all of those around them might not be is one of the most important things you can do as a mother and as a father. Now notice this. I'm going to speak just briefly to the children. Ephesians chapter 6, look at this with me in verses 1 through 3. This is what God says. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord. Again, in the Lord, for this is right. If your dad grabs a gunny sack and says, Hey, son, let's go out and we're going to do some, we're going to do some Christmas shopping, but we're not going to pay for it. We're just going to grab it and go. That's not in the Lord. That, that's, how many of you know that's, that's not of God? Obey your parents in the Lord, just like a wife submits to her husband as to the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. Why do I want to do that? God's pretty, pretty plain because it's right. Verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. It's the first commandment we got with a promise. That promise is, verse 3, so that it may be well with you and so that you may live long on the earth. Do you see God's divine order? Honoring your parents doesn't have an age limit either. Your mom can be 85. You can be 64. You still need to honor her. You need to respect her with the way you talk to her. You need to respect her with the way you treat her. Same goes for your dad. Honor. I'm telling you what, honor. Honor is such a huge thing in society. Societies that know how to honor. I'm often, I'm often amazed at times when I will, would, would see like a, a, a movie that was like in Japan. And honor that show. I mean, honor shown in the home before they even walk in. They take their shoes off. That's showing honor to that person. And then they 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 bow to show honor. They're not worshiping them. They're showing them honor. They're showing them deference. They're showing them respect. And societies that will have honor are societies that disorder has a hard time living in. So 
As I explained earlier, let me kind of put the caboose on this now. Submission does not mean silence or that you don't have a will, ladies, or that you don't have your own mind. Even Jesus talked to God. Jesus said this in the garden, Lord, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, I'll do that way. But nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, even Jesus had, he struggled, is Lord, if there's another way, but if there's not, I'm going to do what you want me to do. That's why he sweat drops of blood. You see, we're told to obey God more than man. And submission is simply giving deference to a role when that role has also given deference to God. When you view, when you view submission that way, it takes the fear out of it. I'm going to give you this an example, and, and then we're going to close. There was a man who used to be a plumber that became a preacher, and his name was Smith Wigglesworth. Now, this man was a very God-defiant man. This man was a bad dude. I mean, he is not a guy you would want to follow. Well, his wife got saved and began to follow God. And she began to go to church, and she began to read her Bible. And in those days, they did not only have morning church, they also had evening church in, on Sunday. And so she had come already from Sunday morning church and, and spent the day, and then it was evening church. And he was like to her, he was like, you are not going to church. I refuse to allow it. And she said, "Hun, I appreciate what you're saying, but I want to go to church and I want to continue to serve God and learn. He said, isn't there something in your Bible that says you have to submit to me? He knew enough about that. She said, yes, it does. As unto the Lord. And he said, well, I'll tell you this. If you go to church tonight, when you come back, these doors will be locked and you can't come in. And she didn't have a key. And she said, well, honey, I love you, but I'm going to church. So she went to church, and sure enough, she came home, and I mean, every door was locked. So that night, she slept on the porch, and the next morning, she hears the front door open, but the screen door stays closed, locked. And here he is, and he looks out there, and as soon as she knows it's him, she jumps up. Ladies, listen to this. She jumps up, and you know what she does? Well, that light just went out. She, she jumps up, and she looks at him, and she says, good morning, honey. What would you like for breakfast? So good to see you. That got him. He thought he was going to dissuade her, and all she did was continue to love him. Do you know that man finally gave his heart to the Lord? And he became a very powerful evangelist in God's kingdom. You ought to just read, if you haven't, if you've never read about Smith Wigglesworth, Google him and read about him. One last couple, and that's Sarah and Abraham. 
Sarah can't have a baby. Yet God promised it was going to be through her that Abraham was going to have children. Now, you can look at Sarah and Abraham, and Sarah actually comes to him and says, Hey, you know what? I've got a handmaiden here named Hagar. Why don't you go into her, and maybe it's going to be through her that we can have children? Church, do you know what that created? That created the Israeli-Arab conflict that is still going on today. When Ishmael was born, it created conflict. When they finally believed God and Sarah did it God's way, the Bible even says God made her that barren womb. He gave it life. When she tried to do it herself, life didn't come. Actually, disunity came. You see, I want to tell you this. God can still do this. God calls things into being that don't even exist. Just as he did with with Isaac in a barren, lifeless womb. And maybe today, maybe you're dealing with a barren barrenness in your family, a barren career or a barren dream or a barren heart. God is a master at bringing life from what appears to be barren. If you have a barren hope, if you're in a relationship and you have a relationship with somebody and it feels barren, God can bring a reality back to that. If you're single and you've been single for a long time, maybe you've even given up believing that that your future spouse is out there somewhere. I want you to listen to me. You don't need to invent a way to meet your man. God's so good at what he does, he can bring your spouse directly to you. I know some of you are thinking, well, I just wish you'd hurry up. Listen, he can create families and careers and futures and life where there look to be only barrenness. And all I say is this, submit to him. And tremendous freedom comes when you realize that your ultimate submission is under a caring and loving God. A kingdom woman operates and aligns herself under the comprehensive rule of God without fear. And if you will align yourself under God and honor Him in light of the distant, you know, these these distinct functions that God Himself has organized, if you will do it within that marriage role and parenting role, you can expect to experience God in unprecedented ways because God's promised it. Amen? Thank you for your attention today. I went over just a little bit. But how many of you got something out of this? How many of you ladies got something out of this series? And uh, God wants us to walk a, a different way than the world walks and to show them how God walks. Amen? I want you to stand to your feet today as we now go into this season of Christmas and what I see as hope. It's life. You know, the Bible says there is faith, there is hope, and there is love. And the greatest of these is is love. But we all need faith and we all need hope. Amen? Bow with me as we pray. Father, today I thank you that you are sending us into this ministry to people that 
are without hope. I pray, Lord, that they will gain new hope as we will be able to relate with them and share with them what your word says. I pray, Lord, that you would be with the families in America, that you would be with the marriages in America. And, Lord, those who are hearing these words from your, from your word, as they put them into practice, I pray, Lord God, that you would bless their life like they've never seen it before. And we give you the praise and we give you the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Love you all. We'll see you over there. Uh, I know a lot of food is being prepared, so uh, God bless you. We'll see you there.